0: Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. The Lord just asked me a question, and and I thought of the the man at the um, pool, I think it was the pool of Bethesda, and an angel would trouble the water, and the first end got healed jesus walked up to this man and said would you be healed and really the the uh, an alternate translation of that is would you have life would you live and basically he's talking about it would you live a life where your body does what you want it to do not be sick and that question just kept going off in me all week would would you live, or are you ready to live? And then I started looking at, at, at the, the story of the crucifixion, and, and I'm going to throw out the ending, and then we're going to work our way to establish that ending. And it, 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 it just became a real revelation to me. If you do want life, there's only one way to get to life, and that's through death. Death is required. You cannot live until you die. Now, I know that sounds like an oxymoron, and it is, but God loves to th- throw out these paradoxes, and, and we look at them and we think, well, that, that, that cannot be true. And he says, oh, really? God loves a challenge like that. Well, I want to start this at, 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 in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to try to go through this quickly. 1 Timothy 1 one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. That's what we're after, life. But uh, it, it immediately I got, I, I got arrested there. It says it's according to the promise of life. And it just, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. I want to know the details. So I went and looked at that, that, that word for promise, because, you know, it's, it's a word. I know what promise is, but do you know what promise is? Because sometimes you think you know and you use the word, but then you realize maybe this is a little different. And and the Greek word here, what it, it it's a, a a combination of a word that means first, and the word angelos, which can mean an angel, a heavenly being, but it also, depending on context, can mean a messenger or a message. And what this promise of life in Christ Jesus is, it's the first message the most important message that's the promise when, when he says the promise of life he's saying this is paramount and it's life in Christ Jesus You may have financial problems, you may have sickness problems, you may have relationship problems, you may have a gazillion problems, but your paramount concern above anything and everything else is life in Christ. And you cannot forget the in Christ. Because a lot of people want to seek life, but they don't want to seek Christ. It's like wet with water, you cannot get life without Jesus doesn't exist and the, the word their life is, is the greek word zoe which means the god kind of life it's not talking about life i mean I'm, i've got grass to mow which just I, drives me crazy because it's not even May yet i don't you shouldn't have to mow your lawn in april <laughs> but when i cut that grass off it's dead it dies quickly it ceases to have life It has life now, but the part I cut off, when I cut it off from the roots, it's going to die. That's not what this is talking about. That's just natural life. That is life that your body has. If I I cut a, a limb off, cut a finger off, that limb that gets severed from my body will die. Now, when Jesus comes back, if you're a Christian, he'll resurrect that part of your body with the rest of your body, recreate it, but... That life is not what this is talking about. This is talking about the presence and the energizing and, and of, of God in you. It, it's a very different thing from just natural life. The 2nd I'm not going to read verse um, 2 through 5. Or, yeah, 2 through 5. I'm just going to summarize it. Basically, Paul is, is, is encouraging Timothy. Timothy has heard that Paul's in prison, and Timothy's crying over it. He's upset. Uh, This ought not be. And Paul hears that Timothy's upset about him being in prison, so he comes back to Timothy, writes this letter back to him. He says, Timothy, look, you've got faith, genuine faith. I saw it in your grandma, I saw it in your mama, and I've seen it in you. You've got faith. Paul looks at Timothy being upset over Paul's conditions, and I'm sure it moved him to know that he's loved. But he says, Timothy, look to your faith and then in verse 6 he says because of that because you have the same faith of your grandma and your mama and you have it it's genuine faith i'm I'm reminding you stir up the gift of god which is in you through the laying on of my hands and this is the the key here verse 7 for god has not given us a spirit of fear but he has given us a, a a power and love, and a sound mind. He's contrasting this. This fear is, is more like a dread that makes you pull back. If, if you've ever watched, and, and, and I know it's hard using uh, movie illustrations because if you've never seen the movie, it doesn't make any sense, but one of my favorite movies of all time, I know, don't judge me, is The Godfather. And in The Godfather Part Two, uh, uh, um, the guy that's going to be... Don Corleone's consigliere later on, takes him to introduce him to his love of his life, who is an actress who f- is in her dad's theater. And they're standing in this door looking at this girl, and about that time, one of the bad guys comes, and he grabs the girl, and he pulls out a knife, and he threatens to cut her across the face, so her dad will give him money. And Don, and, and the Don, Corleone, Don Corleone is not Don yet. The other guy is not consigliere yet, but they're both watching this, and the one guy pulls back. Have you ever watch that little scene? It's a great bit of acting. He gets us. He kind of looks down and startled, and he pulls back. And and Vito Corleone just stands there watching. He's not afraid. The other guy is, and when he ha- when he has that fear, it draws him away. He does not want to give. This is the love of his life. And she's being threatened by a bully with a knife, and he pulls back. That's what God says. You, I have not given you fear that will pull you back away from things. But what I have given you is I have given you power. This is the word dynamis. It's the ability to accomplish things. I've given you the ability to do whatever I've called you to do. You need this. It's in you. Always power to fulfill the call. He said, not only have I given you that, but I've given you my love. Paul said in Romans that we have been been given agape. The love of God is within us. It motivates us to do the right thing. And then the last one, he says, and I've given you a sound mind. And I always thought of that, you know, being in the modern world. I think of it in, in relationship to a psychiatrist you know, trying to determine does this guy go home or is he going to the insane asylum? The same people go home, they have a sound mind. That's not what this word is. I never looked it up before. It's a it's a word that combines the word sozo, which is where we get the word for salvation, with a, a Greek word that means to rein a horse. So what he's saying is I have given you the power to reign in your life according to the salvation I'm putting on the inside of you now that changed how i read this verse he hasn't just given me a sound mind meaning a mind that that works well he has given me a mind that's full of salvation where i can reign and direct my life to the right place that that just, my, my head started to, to kind of throb. I thought, I don't know if I can get that or not. Verse 8, though, he says, Therefore, because of this, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. You know, people occasionally will, will ask someone, Can you give your testimony? Let me give you a hint from what this says. If my, te- my testimony doesn't point to Jesus, it's not his testimony, and I need to just forget it. My testimony must always point to to Jesus because it's the testimony of the Lord that counts. Not what I did, but what he did to me, through me, for me, and in me. I've got that, he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. I just kind of want to take a magic marker and mark that part out i really don't want to partake and share in the sufferings i just kind of want things to run smooth but the reality is life is all about suffering we live in a in a world that's soaked in sin going the wrong way full of crazy people and we're going to suffer well boy isn't that a cheery message happy easter It's reality. But he's given us power, love, and and the ability to reign our life to where we are in control and we can exercise salvation to where we conquer all of these things. We may suffer along the way, but man, we have a testimony. Amen? And then verse 9. According to the power of God, who has saved us and called us, Notice, there are two parts here. There's salvation and calling. They are not the same thing. G- Jesus saves us, but then he calls us. Now, when I say he calls us, most people automatically think fivefold ministry. Pastor, um, um, help me, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and um, apostle. That's not what he's talking about. He's calling about the calling to preach our testimony, the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about being a witness and and preaching the gospel. As St. Francis famously said years ago, even if you have to use words, that's our calling. And he says, he saved us and he's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Doesn't have anything to do with you. Doesn't have to do with whether you're... Tall, short, pretty, ugly, fat, skinny, educated, uneducated. None of that matters. And all that matters, he's not calling it according to us, but according to his purpose and his grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Before he created empty space that would be filled with matter and energy Before he did any of that, when it was just the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the three of them got together and said, let's do this. They created the universe. They created it perfectly for us, put everything in the earth that we would ever need. And then they planted us and they said, not only are we going to do this, but we're going to give you a purpose. We're going to give you a calling, a purpose, and we're going to give you grace, which is the power of God. Wow. (laughs) Now, verse 10. Now, I want you, in, in this verse, and in verse 10 particularly, you don't see it unless you really study it out, but there are like three or four, I forgot, I lost count now, three or four times where, Paul uses a term where the root of that term is light. The Greek word phos, where we get phosphorescent. Everything in verse 10 is about the light. Remember, Jesus said, I am the light and the life. The light of God and the life of God are married. They're the same. They're different ways of talking about the same thing. Verse 10, he says, well, let me go up. Let's read, read. Let's start in verse 8. I'm going to read all the way through 10. He says, Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, the first word there when it says, has now been revealed, the root of that word is to, to make light. It, it, if you've ever been to a theater and, and the whole place just goes dark, they've had the lights up and you're, you think it's time for the curtain, And wham, everything's dark. And suddenly you can't see anything. And you kind of hear the curtains parting back, and then you see the spotlight comes on, and you see one lone actor standing in the middle of the stage, and that's how they start the drama. That's what this is talking about. He has been revealed. The world went dark, and wham, Jesus was there, and the spotlight was on him. To reveal Him because everything else is just window dressing. It's Him and Him alone. It's all that's important Jesus and His power and His grace and His life. It it was revealed by the appearing. An alternate translation of that. Again, this is the, the word epi and phos, which means light. Epi means first. So it could mean the, uh, the, the quality of light, but it also has as a, um, a reference to a new day, a dawn. He, when Jesus appeared, we were in a new day. Everything changed with the birth of Christ. Everything from... Genesis when 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 God came and and cursed the serpent and said you have won temporarily there's one coming you're going to bruise his heel but he's going to crush your head when he's when Jesus or when well I think it was Jesus when he said that that started the story. God started prophesying and describing who the son was going to be and how the son was going to behave and what his calling was and what his purpose was and then it was consummated at the birth of Christ. That's why Satan was so uh, uh, panicked that he ordered the killing of every child in Bethlehem two years old and, and, and under. I don't care if we have to wipe out the whole village. I can't allow this... this, this, this person god in the flesh to come into the earth what are we going to do i mean he's going crazy he's looking around in his and i guarantee you his imps his 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 lieutenants they were they were pulling back in fear don't get near to the boss when he's this way i'm telling you he'll punish you he'll hurt you get away this is a side thought but have you ever thought about what jesus did when he was really angry and he got angry There was one point where his cousin, the forerunner of his, Herod, cut his head off. And they brought Jesus the news. Do you think he was not angry with that? If he wasn't angry, I'm going to tell you, he wasn't human. He had anger about that. and So what was his reaction to that anger? It says that he departed from that place, healing everyone who came to him. He got mad and said, devil, and it wasn't mad at Herod. He knew the source. It was Satan. And so what did he do? I'm coming to plunder your kingdom. I am going to rob you of everything I can rob you, and I'm coming right now. Forget the cross. We're going to have battle today. I'll defeat you ultimately there, but I'm whipping your butt now, here, right here. Come on, bring it on. It's war. When Jesus gets angry, the devil quakes. We've got him on the inside of us. And we fear our own shadow. We need to get a revelation of that. But it was a new day when Jesus showed up. That's what that appearing says. Now, it's interesting. It says, our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. When I think of that, I'm thinking, well, death's gone. It's not what that word means. Death still exists. People die every day. I don't like it. I've, I've, I've spent too many times, sat by too many hospital beds, watched people die, hugged their families, cried with their families. It, 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 it's the one part of this, this calling that I do not like. I don't like going into hospitals and watching people, the life seep out of them. It, 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 but the, the, the great part is, Paul said, oh, oh death, where's your sting? When you go into a hospital room and you suspect, you don't know, but you suspect that person may not be saved, oh, that let you know this is going to be a rough day. There's going to be some wailing. There's going to be some real upset people. But when you walk in, I've told this story before. Uh, one of our church members, when I was associate pastor many eons ago, um, his mom and dad, they were honky-tonkers. They were rough folk. They smoked, they drank, they cussed, they ran around. They par- they were party people. Well, she got lung cancer, and they got saved. Their son was a dedicated Christian, had been for years. He had witnessed his mom and dad, witnessed. And he just went to mom, he said, Mom, this is a death sentence. She was in stage four she ever knew, before she ever knew she had cancer. And this was back when, stage four lung cancer, there were very few treatments. And he said... You're going to be in the grave probably in the next year. are you ready and no, but I mean that lady she got saved she got gloriously saved and it it was a it is a s it, it's a funny story it is funny she's in the hospital she she's d n r don't resuscitate me if I die. She has a breathing tube in and breathing for her because her her breath is so uh, she can 't breathe on her own the cancer's too advanced, and her heart stopped, and her husband he just loved her so much that he panicked and he called the nurse and he says i 'm reversing the d n r bring her back and they did man they jumped on her, they did c p r they shocked her, and they brought her brought sinus rhythm back to her heart and she she was sort of semi conscious because of the the breathing tube, and she they have been pounding on her chest, shocking her. She woke up, and she looked at him. She grabbed that breathing tube, and doctors, that's not an easy thing to do. She started snaking that thing out. Of course, she's only been saved less than a year, and she's had a rough life. She had rough language. (laughs) She grabbed him. You blankety-blank and -and so-and-so, what did you do? And he said, what do you mean? I was standing with Jesus, talking to Jesus, and he looks at me and said, you got to go back. Benny needs you. Don't you ever do that again. Oh, I mean, she was red-faced furious. And he said, Okay, honey. And we, he, we, we prayed, released her. Within five minutes, she was gone to heaven. But, I mean, that is what he's given us. That is the kind of faith that, that we ought to have. He, has, he, has, he didn't abolish death. We're still going to die. But he's taken the sting out of it. What he has actually done, if you look at the Greek word, it, it, it's para, and it, it, it's a Greek word that means stop. Para means to draw alongside. He drew alongside death, and he grabbed it and said, you're stopped right here. You, can only, you can't go any farther. I own you now. Death, ultimately, until he comes back, it's still, we are subject to death. If you live long enough, you will die. But we don't fear it. We don't fear it. Death is just the new doorway into a better life. Amen? But it says that he, he brought life. It's another, the brought is another word for light. He lit up the world with the zoe, with the life of God. When Jesus came in, it said that the star was there. The star was there as a sign, but it's a a representation of the the word of God. The second person of the Godhead is here, and he's going. The first chapter of John says, and it's a horrible testimony to mankind. It says, the light of, of, of the world was here and men ran to darkness instead of coming to the light. Unfortunately, that is true. But then it also says he didn't just bring uh, life. He abolished death. He brought life, but he also brought immortality. Now here again, I I saw somebody on on YouTube. It's been a couple of months ago. He was trying to illustrate um, eternal life, and he brought out this huge coil of rope. And he said, this is eternal life. It has a beginning, but it has no end. It just goes on and on and on and on. And I'm thinking that's a horrible, horrible exp- or, or illustration of eternal life. Eternal life is just not about length. <coughs> Believe me, if, if, if God came to me today and said, John, you're going to live in the body that you have right now for the, all the rest of time. I would say, no, thank you. I do not want to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 67 years old, and it hurts a lot most of the time. And I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, I, it, it, somebody said, it's not the age, it's the mileage. You know, I, it wasn't that I was on, I wasn't running on, on uh, uh, interstates with no potholes. I was out mudding, running <laughs> over boulders. I, I, I've treated this thing a little rough, and it's, it's, it says, okay, you treated me rough, time for payback, bud. Well, eternal life, immortality, what this is talking about, it, it's, not, it's not the same as eternal life. Eternal life is not just length, it's also quality. Lord. Length without the quality is not a blessing. But the quality that never ends, oh, man, I'm ready for it. But that's not what he's talking about here. What, what this word, Greek word, means here is the absence of any corruption. And, and again, it's one of those words I thought, okay, What's, I know what corruption means, but what does it really mean? And when I went to the dictionary and looked at every definition, basically what corruption means is an absence of righteousness. So when it says that that, that God... Jesus brought immortality. He's saying what he did is he brought righteousness, which drove out corruption, which means you now stand just as he stands. I don't know how that works because I'm not him. I'm painfully aware that I don't match up to his example. But he says, when I look at you, I see me. And I say, wow, thank God for his grace. So, What do we do with that? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, here again, and remember, we're heading to if you want life, you got to die. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 11. Timothy says this, This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him... He also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. I love that. There are, there are so many parts there. If I want to live with him, I have to die. I have to say it's not about me. It has nothing to do with me. I have to submit to his death. And we're going to get into what that actually means here in a minute. But, then, once I've died that death, and, and part of that death is there is also a resurrection, but once I do, then I have to endure. If, if you go and read uh, Hebrews chapter 12, it says, v- verse 1 of, of Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Have you ever asked the question, What's that sin? Well, you remember, golden rule of Bible interpretation, read it in context. He tells you what that sin is. And let us run with endurance the race which is set before us. Paul says right here, if we endure, we shall reign. You want to reign in life? There's going to have to be some endurance. This isn't a sprint. This isn't, well, I'm going to live holy for a week, and then, you know, I just I kind of need a break. It's kind of like, you know, I, I, I put on Facebook this, this week and it is, it is a, oh, Lord, I can't tell you how many likes I got on this one, how many thumbs up and hearts. It said, you know, my, my uh, New Year's resolution was to lose 10 pounds this week or this year and I've only got 20 to go. <laughs> how many times you go on a diet and you're really good? Four week, two weeks, you start losing weight, and it's like, I need a break. I need a break. i just have a cheat day. And your cheat day turns out to be a cheat month. And then that cheat month turns out to be six months or a year. This is, the Christian life is not, well, I'm going to do this as long as I can, and then I'll have to cheat a little bit. No, it's all in, all out. If you're going to get in, if you're going to call on the name of Jesus, you got to be serious about it. It requires death. Death of everything, death of your ego, death of your dreams, death of your passions, death of everything about you. Because your life, Paul said it, and I forget the reference now. He said it's it, it's not me anymore, but it's the life of Christ in me. It's all about Jesus. But notice, he said, if we endure, we'll, we'll reign. If we deny Him, He will deny us. That that is not that literally is saying. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. If you reject him, he will say, okay, and let you go. He will agree with you. But if we're faithless, that means if I'm in it, I'm trying, but I am a royal screw-up. I don't have faith for beans. He will still remain faithful. That's the only thing I'm hanging on to. Because I'm like the little boy. The, 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 harder, the harder I do, the, the harder I work, the behinder I get. Sometimes, I, do you ever feel in your Christian walk that it's two steps forward, four steps back? You know, or like if you've ever seen the, the, the little videos on YouTube where you've had an ice storm and somebody decides to go get their paper and they end up half a block down the road because as soon as they hit the driveway, they're on their rear end and they start sliding and when they get in the road, they're just heading downhill. They have no way to stop. Sometimes that is life. When when, when we do that, when we slip and we fall and we find ourselves way out, when you come to yourself, just like the prodigal son, remember, in my father's house, there's forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if you come, you confess your sins, he is faithful, not only to forgive, but to cleanse. And he's not cleansing like my mama was. I grew up on a farm. Summertime, you were sweaty, you were dirty. I, more than once, I came up to, to come in the house, and I got met at the back door. No, sir, not coming in there looking that way. I've been cleaning all day. Get out in the yard, strip down to your skivvies, and she'd go get the hose. And she would hose you down from top to bottom before you could come in and take a shower. Now, go in there and take a shower. It's like, I don't need a shower. You just did it with a power hose. Jesus will wash you, but he won't power hose you. Amen? He's gentle. He's lowly. Now, how do we do this? How do we, how do we, we, we die with him so we can live with him? How, once we do die, how do we endure? How do we stay away from, from being faithless? Well, it all comes down to understanding what happened from Good Friday to the resurrection. First, we have to understand my, mankind, us, me, we are worthy of death. We're subject to death because we are worthy of death. Uh, uh, Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. What's that mean? That means my mother conceived me when my father and my mother had relations, and it was my father's seed that conceived me. And my father... Was conceived by his father who was conceived by his father, who and it goes all the way back until it reaches Adam. We are conceived in sin because we are of the family of Adam. And we inherited that nature of sin straight from Adam, which is why we had to have a virgin birth. Why is that important? Uh, uh, Matthew said it. Matthew 5:48. You shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. God has one. So I, I love it when people tell me, well, you know, I think when I get to heaven, I'll, I'll make it to heaven because my good works will outweigh my bad works. It's not a scale. Well, it is a scale. But you've got to have good works and nothing on the bad works side. No sin and in even the nature or the sin of Adam. It's not what you do, it's to what family do you belong. It's not the fact that you're a sinner, it's the fact that you're a pig. And I mean that literally, pigs were unclean. And when you get saved, when you get your salvation, Jesus takes you from being a pig to being a sheep. And when, when well, better, better, and really, I really shouldn't down, talk down about pigs because I'm a real fan of bacon. You know, um, But we are goats. If you look at the Bible, everything is sheep and goats, sheep and goats. We're born into the family of goats because Adam is our father. And Jesus converts us to sheep. The problem is sometimes we're sheep, and this is why I use pigs, we're sheep over running with the goats and getting all dirty and messy. And the shepherd has to come hunt for us. We need to stay with the sheep stay with the shepherd so if we're born with this nature of sin the reason jesus qualified to to um, to meet this perfection was because he was born of a virgin matthew 1 the story of of christmas behold the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name emmanuel which is translated god with us jesus had no natural father so he was not in the lineage of adam now i know when you go through and i don't remember now which whether it's matthew's account or luke's account that gives the lineage and they will give joseph's lineage but remember joseph is not his father he's he's his stepdad he adopted jesus to raise him but god is his father The Father God is the Father of Jesus, so he was not born with the nature of sin. Very familiar verse says that Jesus was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. There's two ways to interpret that verse. He was born or he was tempted in all ways and he never sinned. That is a valid interpretation. But there is a second interpretation. He was tempted in all ways except one, he was never tempted from the inside out. Because he had no nature of sin on the inside. His spirit never tempted him to do wrong. Ours did. That's why you don't have to teach a two-year-old to be rebellious. All you got to do is say, don't touch that. That'll hurt you. Have you ever watched a two-year-old when you tell them don't do that? It's like that's all they can see. That's all they want now. They are drawn to it. That is the nature of sin on the inside of a two-year-old. Nobody taught their children to do that. It's innate. It's natural. It's how we live. It's how we are. And when you reach the age of accountability, you will act that out because God doesn't hold until the age of accountability. People do sin, but God does not hold that against them. That's why if you ever minister to someone who's had a child die, for God's sake, when they say, is my baby in heaven you can answer authoritatively, yes. They're not saved, but they are safe. Until the age of accountability, they are safe. Well, when's the age of accountability? I have no idea. So if you're wondering, just comfort them. It's all you can do. But Matthew said that, that Jesus was born of a virgin. Why? Because Leviticus twenty two twenty one says, whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. Jesus had to come through a virgin birth so he would be perfect, so he could be the perfect um, sacrifice. And he was, thank God. Now, second, and this is kind of off topic, but I really want to hit this. The world has a a a, um, a history of being anti-Semitic, anti-Jew. Hitler per- personified it. He did. He did. And I, I am convinced Hitler was demon possessed, and he had one goal, and that was to wipe out the Jews. Because if you can wipe out the Jews. God made promises to the nation of Israel that if there are no Jews on the earth, God cannot fulfill the promises because they haven't been fulfilled yet. You look at the promises that God gave Abraham about the land. That was the entire Middle East. They don't argue about a little bitty swath of land, you know, not much bigger than Marion County. God said, all of it. The entire Arabian Peninsula. All of Egypt. I mean, it's it's, it's more than, than Israel ever occupied. So it's an unfulfilled promise. You can get rid of the Jews. He can't fulfill the promise. Therefore, God lacked the ability to get something done that he said he would do. He's a liar. And Satan becomes, he is the God of all liars. And Satan will rule the, the, the world. That's why the Jews are so important. Because... They 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 um, they have to be here so God can c- fulfill what He's promised them. But but anti Semites will will tell you, in fact, God forgive us. But for Jews, especially in Europe, um, Easter was a dreaded time because there were church people in their stupidity and in their ignorance that would do that would would perform palm pomegroms, and I'm sure that's mispronounced, but they would go into Jewish villages and they would rape and they would murder all the while wearing crosses and saying, this is because you killed Jesus. You killed our Lord. Now, let me tell you with no uncertain terms, the Jews did not kill Jesus. Let me tell you with uncertain, no uncertain terms, the Romans didn't kill Jesus. And I've heard it said, yeah, it was my sin that killed Jesus. No. There is not a human being ever lived, ever will live, that had the ability to kill Jesus. And i got scriptural proof. Uh, John 10, verse 18, no one, he's talking about his life, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Jesus, no one killed Jesus. Jesus gave up his life willingly. We don't have the power to kill that man. No human had the power. Everything he did, he he submitted to willingly. And at the end, it doesn't say that he died. It says he gave up his spirit. He surrendered to death. The question is, Why? Why? Because there was an exchange that had to take place. We were dead in trespasses. We were dead in sins. Paul says that in Ephesians. In um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, and and, and the illustrations I'm going to give you here, don't, don't try to take these illustrations too far. Illustrations illustrate a small point, and if you push them beyond that small little point, you can get into error real quick. So... And some of the things I'm going to say, I'm not, I'm not trying to be controversial, but they are controversial. But 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he made him, this means God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. I have, I, I, every theologian in the planet will agree that Jesus took our sins. A lot of them will say, well, he bore our sins. He never became sin. Paul said, and I'll take Paul's word over any theologian's word, Paul said that he didn't know sin. He was perfect. He was that perfect sacrifice. But he's so identified with sin that he became the very thing that we are. He accepted it. And the way I read that, it, it, sin is, is, is kind of like smoke. Once you let it go, it finds its way everywhere. Everywhere. Jesus took on the nature of sin. Not because he sinned, but because it was the only way to conquer sin at its root. And if if you've seen this if you read the Gospels. Jesus, do you realize he never answered a question? He always answered a question that was not asked, not the one that was asked. Because he knew what you're asking is not really what you want to know. So he'd tell you what you really needed to know rather than what you ask. He knew that that just paying uh, uh, the price for our sins was not enough. He had to, to bore down deeply and pay the price for the nature of sin that Adam allowed into the planet. That's why his name is above every name. Because he went as low as any person, anybody could go. Now, he did it as a man, but because I've said, well, that was the, I've heard people say, that was the man Jesus, not the second person of the Godhead. I'm not quite sure how you, how you can divide those two. If he became fully God, fully man, and they join, where's the separation come? And maybe, maybe you're smarter than I, and you can see that. I can't see it, but I do see that scripture tells me he became sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. It was an exchange. He took everything that we were, not what we did, what we were, and he became that, knowing that nothing that, that, that he was becoming was his. He accepted it willingly, knowing this is your stuff. But I'm going to eat it. Uh, Bill's probably heard of this because he's a hillbilly like I am. There was, a, there was a practice back in the hills. Pastor Nanny may have heard of it too. Where y- you had, uh, you, well, you're a hillbilly. You're from North Carolina. But North Carolina, oh. West Virginia, Kentucky, the hills of Kentucky, we're all hillbillies. I, told, I said that to a student one time they got offended. I said, why would you get offended that somebody would call you a hillbilly? Man, that's a badge of honor. I mean, it's God's people. Go to, you know, you go to West Virginia. You only have to pay a small toll to Tall Heaven. It's in the hills of Kentucky where it's a toll-free call. That I just had to twist that in Bill's back a little bit. But in in the hills, there was a a a, a tradition of having a sin eater, where literally. When someone would die, you would have a person come in and they would feed them and they would symbolically take the sins of that person on themselves so they could go to heaven. It was a huge perversion of the gospel. But they understood that this person could not reach heaven in their state. They had to have someone that took on their sin, and not only took it on, but they used, and I don't think it was by accident that they used it, they used the concept of eating because the food that you eat becomes one with you. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was the ultimate, actually the only sin eater. He became our nature. And for a finite period of time, because he was an eternal being, he was a perfect being, he was God, you can take... What for us would be eternal punishment for an eternal being, he can take that punishment temporarily and pay the full price. But, but here's the, the um, well, let me, let me read this first before I get there. I'm, 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 I want to get ahead of myself, but I can't. Romans chapter 6, this is verse 5 through 10. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. This is talking about the picture of water baptism where where we have to die with him so we can be resurrected with him. But we do this knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That that's not that's a that's really a horrible modern translation it doesn't mean that it's actually ceases to exist which is what done away with normally would mean in our modern minds when it says it's done away with it literally has the same um, connotation that we saw in timothy it it's it it has been rendered ineffective death has no ability to hold me anymore before i was saved i was sin slave if you're a slave. You don't get to determine when you go, how you go, where you go, or what your state is when you get there. But now I am free of sin. I'm free of the dominion of sin. I may go over and play with the goats. I may get into sin. I may get filthy and dirty and nasty. But when I come to myself, I can walk away and sin cannot hold me because I'm not subject to sin anymore. That's what he means when it says he's done away with sin. Sin does not have a hold on us any longer. He said, But he did this, he did away with it, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. This is the key, verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all but the life that he lives he lives to god this is the picture i want to get i want to get and don't read too much into my words because i I don't know how to give a better illustration of this but when jesus went to the cross he died to righteousness and became sin that's why i'm convinced on the cross he cried out my god my god why have you forsaken me What does that mean? Does that mean there was a break in the Godhead? My theology has a hard time with that. But then again, how do I explain when the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead, says, Father, why have you forsaken me? It's beyond my grasp, I'll be honest with you. But I do see that right then and there, he died to his own righteousness and took on and became sin. But when the price for our sin was paid... He died to sin, meaning sin no longer had hold on him. And his righteousness, remember, he said, no one takes my life. I give it and I take it up whenever I want. Once he knew that the price was paid, he said, sin, you have no hold on me now. And suddenly, righteousness re itself. And it says that he conquered death, he conquered Conquered sin, Colossians two two nine or two fifteen says it this way: Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. New or the Phillips translation. I love the Phillips translation of that same verse. Said and then having drawn the sting of all the powers ranged against us, he exposed them, shattered, empty, defeated, and. His, in his final, glorious, triumphant act. If you've ever listened to Carmen, and I realize Carmen's, it's a long time ago. He has a, 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 a kind of a vocal drama about the, the cross and, and what happens to Jesus. And, and all hell has grabbed on him. When he became sin, they had a hold on him. He became sin, they had a right to torment him. And suddenly, he comes alive. And the righteousness reexerts itself. And every power of hell, from Satan to the lowest power, was defeated in that moment. He took the keys of hell and death, which means he decides who goes in who goes out. He took the the, the picture when it says that he triumphed over them in it. The picture is of a Roman general who has conquered a king. They would slap an iron collar around that king's neck. They would cut off his thumbs and cut off his big toe so he could never hold a sword and he could never run. Could do no more battle. But then they would would parade him through Rome with a, a chain and an iron collar. And they'd say, this is the king. This is their greatest warrior. We defeated him because Rome is supreme. That's exactly what Jesus did. He he put a collar on Satan's neck, paraded him through hell, and he said, this is your king, and he is nothing, and neither are you. And he rules hell. I don't mean that Jesus is in hell, but he's the commander of hell. Hell can do nothing unless Jesus says you can do it. He is he's Lord of all. Amen? So, what does that mean for us? Remember, we have salvation, we have calling. Well, we're all familiar. We're Protestants. We're good Protestants. Um, <clears throat> how do you get saved? Well, Romans 10 9 and 10. You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved, for with the heart, one believes under righteousness with the mouth. Confession is made under salvation. Um, this is a very individual thing. You don't get saved because you were in a family of, of Christians. I used to think I was a Christian because my mom and dad were Christians. And I would think I'm a Christian because I live in a Christian nation. No. Being a Christian is an individual, just you and Jesus. And it starts, it, it is all faith alone, but but. Jesus said in Matthew 7, you will know them by their fruits. So if you do have that salvation experience, remember, back in 2 Timothy, he said, you know, if we died with him, if we will um, live with him, but if we endure, we will reign. Sometimes we see people and you wonder, are they Christian or are they not Christian? Because they're not reigning in life. They're in, they're out, they sin a while, they live righteous for a while. You just, you know, you, you never know where they are. That's a lack of endurance right there. If you're going to reign in life, you have to get in, stay in, and live by the Word. The Word is your commandment. The Word tells you how you have to live. But, but, but the real question is, well, there in, in Matthew 7, and I'm not going to read it all, but this is the passage, and it's a hard one to read, where Jesus says, in the last day many will come to me, and I say, but Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We preached in your name. And he'd say, go over with the goats, because I never knew you. That's, that's, I'm not afraid of much. I'll tell you, that, that verse right there makes me nervous. God, please, don't let me be in that group. I don't want to have have tried to serve you, and yet you really don't know me. Is it a possibility? It's Jesus talking. So yes, it's a possibility. But but what we have to know is if we're going to live this life, if we've confessed Him and believed in Him, and, and not just believe that He is the Son of God, not just believe that He raised from the dead, but ask Him to come and be an intimate part of me, recreate me, the key to knowing you've done that is that you have to know I died. It's not me. It goes beyond because it is really easy to take Jesus into your life, and I'm talking figuratively Jesus, I want you. But I want you, and I want my pets homosexual mean uh uh, message and i'm not trying to pick on homosexuals again but their message is this is how god made me i can receive jesus and the life of jesus and i don't have to change yes you do yes you do and and we we've said this several weeks ago we um we look on homosexuality when we read Romans 1 and we say, wow, obviously they, that's, that's evil, that's sin. But you go to Proverbs chapter 6, these six things the Lord hates Yes, seven are abomination to him. A proud look. <laughs> Whoa. That literally, that means, the, a good example of that is you can never admit that you're wrong. You'll find a way that I'm right this isn't about me it's about you and you have that attitude with everybody that's a dangerous attitude to have in a marriage you know some especially for guys everything's a competition well when you have marital conflict any relational conflict but particularly with marriage if it becomes a um, a winner loser game well you're 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 fighting the wrong war right there and if you can never admit that you're wrong right there you're wrong it says a lying tongue that's being deceitful as being you know I, I show the 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 word hypocrite literally in the greek the word hypocrite was a an actor and they didn't have all the stuff we did they had two masks one with a smile one with a frown that mask was called the hypocrite and you stood with the mask in front of you they never saw you they just saw the mask well in one sense we're all hypocrites we all have our little masks that we allow people to see sometimes your mask gets a little transparent but james says that we need to confess our sins one to another basically you want the loose translation you need to be transparent with with other christians don't put on airs that's that's a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood that's either committing murder but if you remember when we looked at the commandment about against murder it's also having anger having murder in your heart even if you don't kill somebody it, it, it's talking about sometimes it's it's just murder in the sense that I've wasted my life. I spent my life doing things that don't matter, they have no eternal consequence. A heart that devises wicked plans, I'm constantly figuring out ways to scheme, get rich quick plans. How can I how you know you gotta look out for number one? God helps, you know, it's written in the Bible. I've been told this many times. It's written in the Bible, God helps those that help themselves. No, it's not there. You can read it from Genesis to maps. You'll never find that verse. It's not there. Feet that are swift and running to evil. You're always looking for a pit of strife that you can run in and give your opinion. Anytime you find conflict, you want to start dividing up sides. I'm going to defend this one, attack this one. No, it's a peacemaker that God blesses. um, The next one says, "Sorry, a false witness who speaks lies. Basically, that, that someone, the literal picture there in the Hebrew, is someone that breathes fire. You're constantly telling tales on people, and they're never positive. And this is the last one. I think this is probably one of the worst. One who sows discord among brethren. You will not let strife die down. When the argument starts to wane, you go over and start fanning the flames. Stir it all back up again. Some people just love to live in conflict. God says, no, if you want to reign with me, you're going to have to endure with me. But if you're wanting to endure with me, you're going to have to die. Not only die to your own life, as in the new birth, but then that's, that's the new birth. But in the process of sanctification, as God brings things to your life, to your mind, this needs to change. Deal with this part of your life. Deal with this part of your attitude. Deal with this part of your ego or your thinking. you got to say, but that's me. That's just my personality. It may be. Time to take a knife and kill it. If you want to live with him, you want to reign with him, you have to kill every vile instinct that your flesh brings up to you and says, you're entitled, take a knife, stab it in the heart. Because you're entitled to do one thing, if you really get boiled down to it. You're entitled to live a short, miserable, sick life, die, go to hell, and spend all eternity in torment. That's what you're entitled to. Everything else is a gift by God's grace according to Jesus' sacrifice because he became sin and when the price for your sin was done, he died to that, he resurrected and we resurrected with him. That's why we're sitting in heavenly places with him right now. Physically, I'm here. Spiritually, I'm sitting on the throne with him. If I'm going to... Live that out, because remember, one of the songs we sang, he brought heaven to earth. That's our function, to take the the authority and the life of God that we are enjoying in heaven with him and bring it and manifest it in the earth. And when you manifest his life in this earth, it will attract people. People will say, I want that. I like that. When we prayed over the offering, it's part of being a delightful land. It's what, what Timothy or Paul said to Timothy that that we will reign with him. It's eating the fat of the lamb. Amen. Now I know fat's you know a bad thing to some people. I, I said to somebody this week, or I saw a thing on Facebook. It was two two apes. One said, "What's what's your uh, favorite essential oil?" The other one said bacon grease. I can identify with that. The world may condemn fat, but God says when you're living good, you're eating the fat of the land. Ancient people knew what was good. And it wasn't uh, rice cakes. It's bacon. Fried up crispy. Amen? So here's a question for us today. Have I got something? And God... uh, there's a long list of things there's more things in this group of people small as we are you couldn't list all the problems we've got you couldn't list all the faults that we've got you couldn't list all the things personality quirks that that jesus wants to deal with but he will tell you what you need to deal with and you know i can tell i can guarantee you there's one it's like that little yappy dog constantly snipping at your heels That's probably number one on the list. The sin that so easily besets you. It's the one that you know, God, I have tried, I have tried, I have tried. Die to it. When it comes up and you're tempted one more time, hey, nope, it's not me. You're dead. You are dead. And then live it out. If you've got one today, well, first of all, I, you know, if you don't get the, the 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 first step, you don't do Romans ten nine and ten. Confess with your mouth, believe that Jesus is Lord, and He will save you. Until you do that one, none of the rest of them count. You can you can put a wonderful you can put a a, a twenty thousand dollar suit on a corpse; it's still dead. Cleaning up your life without getting born again is just putting in a nice suit. On a dead, part, dead man. Jesus said you, you, white, you whitewash the outside of the tomb and it's full of dead men's bones. So that's the first one. If, if you're not sure, uh, John said in, in, in 1 John, I write these things that you can know, K-N-O-W, know for certain that you are going to heaven, that you are a son of God. If you don't know without any doubt, then you need to deal with that. You need to know. Ask him. Confess it. Declare it. But after that, the process of salvation or or sanctification, if there's something God's been dealing with you about, and you know this is my sin, then you need to nail it to the cross. Take a nail, put it in the cross, and leave it there. Don't go pick it back up. And if if it resurrects, and in a day or two it comes back, Take it back to the cross. Nail it there again. You may have to nail it to the cross a thousand times, a million times. I don't know. But keep nailing it. Eventually it will not come loose. Because it does not have any hold on you. Amen? That's my challenge. And I'm not going to have an open altar call. If, if you need to get saved and you are really, you don't know, then come see me. Come see Pastor, Pastor um, Nanny. See one of the elders. We can lead you in a prayer. We can get you started on that. We can give you some books that you can go study and and know that you are saved. But if you already know you are, but you just need to clean it up, then just take it before the Lord and say, Lord, this one, this this is the biggie for me right now. Help me with this one. And then just see yourself taking that to the cross and nailing it on the cross and walk away and declare, it's dead in my life now. It's dead. And I guarantee you, you're never going to reach a point. You never get so spiritually mature. There's not something that gets nailed to the cross. Because as you clean up one area, God's going to say, okay, that one's done. Let's deal with this one. And until Jesus comes back or you die, there'll always be something that he's dealing with you about to get straightened up in your life. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana. Or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.